Um, okay, hello and welcome to uh, Addictions Edited, I think um, the SSA's podcast. This is a special edition, we're coming live from the SSA annual conference, it's the end of day one. Of course we had the PhD symposium yesterday and with me is uh, Ben Scher, Zoe Swedenbank and Marva Molla Anatolu, um, who are going to be just chatting about what they've seen uh, today and yesterday just to give you a flavour of what's here. So we're here in the poster room the locomotion room, I think it's called, with our mocktails from the reception. We're missing out on the reception, so we're going to get through this quickly. Um, so let's start with you, Martha. What did you uh, What did you enjoy about today? Uh, so one of the sessions that I was in today that I really enjoyed was um, about substance use among refugee populations, and this was specifically in Germany. And it was a great session. Uh, by three researchers working together on different aspects of the topic. But I missed that because I, I missed almost everything today. Mm. But uh, one of the speakers there, Ed Sam Salaries, um, she's doing the Fred Yates Prize talk tomorrow. Mm. And like, just her work is amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it, in terms of her work, she presented two pieces of research. One was about a systematic review of qualitative studies of substance use among refugees. Um, and the second one was a qualitative study interviewing um, refugees who use substances, I think particularly within Arabic speaking refugees. So I think across the three presentations, um, what was really interesting was um, a, the, the need for, I think, a shift in responsibility from uh, quote unquote um, deficient migrants and refugees to deficient systems. Um, so arguing that it's not necessarily the um, migrants or the refugees themselves and the um, issues they bring along and the stigma they experience that is necessarily responsible for the substance use and the consequences, but actually the deficient systems, uh, whether that's in terms of the living conditions, um, the prospects and opportunities that are available to refugees, for example, uh, working rights, um, you know, visa conditions, uh, waiting years on uh, applications to be processed, all of these things, and also the barriers within treatments and settings for refugees to access substance use treatment um, that is actually causing or that is responsible for um, the negative outcomes in refugees with regards to substance use. I think that was a really impactful and um, important message, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, Marva, one thing I found from, from that talk was the emphasis on boredom, that actually when people aren't able to work mm -hmm. and there isn't really much around their built environment, their lived environment for them to do, they they, they, they end up just fulfilling time. And yeah. the stories of people being put in asylum accommodation an hour away from out in the forest in the middle of nowhere um, with nothing to do near them and only being able to go into the local town once a day, um, yeah, I was just really shocked by that, and it's just really yeah fascinating to hear that research definitely, come out. Definitely, I think it's that it's that people are using um, substances to fill that boredom, right? Um, and yeah, that kind of links to like I guess the current conditions uh, within the UK in terms of refugees um, and the situation they're facing. You know, um, in terms of the living prospects, that can have quite a negative impact. You know, we're housing people in hotels or in barges. You know, they're not really. Um, environments that are really conducive to a healthy environment for people are they and also the fact that people can't do work or they can't do any other meaningful activities 
um, which mean that you know they just don't have anything to fill their time with. Um, yeah. It was, I, it's like we, you know, used to talking about vulnerabilities in substance use, but I, I was kind of almost a bit appalled at myself for not having considered the particular set of vulnerabilities that refugees mm. experience, and and that research really kind of um, brings it to the fore, gets into the detail of it. Definitely, and I think it kind of makes you think about it's not just about the experience of displacement, but it's also the post-displacement factors that seem to really contribute yeah. to substance use. So yes, there is probably some elements of the traumatic experience that people have as part of their uh, being a refugee, but it doesn't stop when they come to the host country. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so Ben, uh, what, what stuck out um, from today for you? Yeah, definitely. So I went to a number of really interesting talks today, but the session that really stood out for me, probably quite unsurprisingly, um, was the harm reduction session. I feel like at, at all of these events I just bang on about the harm reduction sessions non-stop but I'm going to do it again. Um, so the one that really kind of gripped my attention was by Dr Matt Smith from Glasgow Caledonian University who was a part of um, the evaluation that was undertaken at the heroin assisted treatment program in Glasgow. So this was a pilot study where they had um, I believe it was 12 people um, who chronically using opioids um, and who have been through multiple different treatment settings they've all been unsuccessful so they were placed they were they were given the option to go into this heroin assisted treatment program um, where they were given um, daily supervised doses of um, injectable medicalized heroin basically three times a day they'd go in um, and the results were really incredible so they were tracked after I believe it was one month six months and one year um, and all of the outcomes related to engagement so pe these people typically really struggled to stay in services engaging really positively um, positive outcomes related to housing re um, in relation to their um, kind of familial relationships and just kind of the, when they when they looked at people's lives holistically and were tracking it just the ability to have um, kind of be taken away from street-based settings and kind of the the chains of always chasing money to then buy drugs and just constantly using throughout the day in quite a in a frantic in frantic way that was completely removed um, and yeah the the outcomes are just really incredible to see so no there was tons of qualitative research that you spoke about and yeah just that first-hand experience of what stability looks like for people who haven't had that sort of stability for years. And these kinds of studies have been run in the past. Um, they've always been for kind of people for whom other treatments haven't worked. Is, is, was that the case in this one? Yeah, so so no, you're, you're exactly right. So he, he made an emphasis at the beginning that it was a cohort of people who had been chronically using for a number of years and had been unsuccessful in other forms of treatment. And so that's why they were eligible. But there's tons of research that came out of Middlesbrough um, last year um, Danny Ahmed and um, his team over there ran a similar pilot and it showed exactly the same effect. People who had been engaging in criminal activity related to their drug use, that completely dropped off. Getting into housing, um, many had got into employment. Um, and the really sad thing that actually came out in this evaluation today was that after the pilot stopped and the funding ran out, um, two of the cohort members who had stabilised ended up passing away from overdose when they returned to street drugs. So um, that was that was kind of a really sad ending to the presentation. But I think it really does show how these really innovative forms of harm reduction that get shut down in the media. I mean, the Daily Mail love kind of putting on the front page 
UK taxpayers funding free heroin, when in actual fact, these are evidence-based interventions that are literally saving people's lives. And all the cost-benefit analyses as well that are done on these programs show that they're incredibly cost-effective in the long term. Um, yeah, but anyways, yeah, so no, it was, it was great. I loved it. There has been, a, I believe there's a shift now from looking at hard-to-reach clients or hard-to-reach service users and thinking about hard-to-reach services. So what are the policies, practices, barriers that are put in place that really stop people from engaging? And if, if, if outcomes um, are positive, then I think that we shouldn't just be looking at moralizing an intervention because at surface level, it isn't what we're used to in terms of drug treatment. I was just going to ask earlier, because you said that the funding, the pilot ended because the funding finished. So what is the next step for this treatment and like how available are these treatments? in in Scotland but also in the rest of the UK? So that's a a great question that I probably should have asked at the end of his talk. I know there are a few places in the UK that are running diamorphine assisted treatment um, which is basically the same as as heroin assisted treatment but it's very very difficult to come by in the UK and they're all pilots so there's no permanent programs like this that are set up which again makes evaluations really difficult. Um, I mean other countries like Switzerland and now um, Vancouver, they they have permanent programs set up. So yeah, hopefully evidence can just keep coming out. The cost benefit, which is unfortunately often what gets these interventions across the line into permanent settings, it, the cost benefit's really positive. So yeah, exciting couple years ahead with these programs. Fantastic, thank you, Ben. Um, um, Zoe, what was um, what was your day like? It's it's been a really interesting day. I mean, it always it always is here, but it's been a really diverse range of topics so for me it's been a range of things that I didn't think I had that much interest in which turned out to be really interesting. That's <laughs> one of the things I love about conferences yeah. So yeah. The, the talk this morning was about gambling which is not an area that I've really given that much thought to to be honest but uh-huh. it was a really good combination of speakers and gave a really kind of balanced view and why it's such a public health issue mm-hmm. that we should be doing more about so for me that was really interesting. Is that the uh, gambling white paper discussion in the yeah. morning? Yeah. yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I was just going to say, I think one thing I took away from that session that I didn't know beforehand was how much gambling industry was involved in funding yeah. gambling research and actually how much the funding relied on the industry, which I thought was quite, yeah, shocking, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was really interesting from kind of a, a say, tobacco researcher perspective because there's That's so many exactly kind of, yeah, case, well, we're where, talking about yeah. marketing and advertising you know, alcohol somewhere in between and gambling that can just pretty much do what they like, which I was a little bit, shouldn't be shocked by, but was to hear it kind of mm-hmm. spelled out like that. So that was really good. Um, but also I really liked the sort of sh- shift this year to talking a lot about lived or living experience. And I feel like there's been a lot of talks that have touched on that, different ways of including that in research. So I saw a really interesting talk this afternoon from uh, Kat Jackson from Newcastle University. And she was very candid, which I was uh, which was really refreshing, actually, um, about how to do kind of PPI, you know, um, user involvement, but the challenges and some of the ways that they kind of, not not telling you how to do it, but going, actually, this was something we hadn't thought of. So one of the things that I've come across is I tend to take the uh, my PPI group or my, my user involvement group as what they say goes, because I think their view is most important. But that's not always compatible with the research project aims so trying to negotiate those can be really difficult and she said that that one of the things she'd found sort of at the end of the project was people going but I didn't say that why are you suggesting this 
and trying to balance the project yeah. and the range of sources of evidence and input on a project and how to how to deal with that so I thought that was really nice yeah so it's, it's and again it's one of the nice things about these conferences you get that that kind of balance of, of findings of what this means, but also the, the methods that people go through to, to get these findings. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Well, uh, um, what about you, Rob, then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to finish, Rob. What Finally, did you someone else. <laughs> um, so I, I really enjoyed Bim van den Brink's uh, session on ADHD and substance use. Was, uh, it was absolutely fascinating. There was so much research in there. He absolutely went through it. Um, and and made sense of it as well um, and there, there were several of his his slides where there were kind of uh, there were models and then other models and then arrows and directions and it had the feel of kind of ADHD about it the, the kind of presentation there was there was just a lot going on um, but some really important messages about um, you know about the squeamishness people have with prescribing amphetamine substances to to children to prevent ADHD but how that can then prevent later life substance use disorders and, and like the difficulty that you have in policy terms of of discussing these kind of paradoxical and, and difficult to kind of fathom um, bits of evidence-based treatment so I, I was I was a big fan of that talk um, and yeah I really really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, as, as someone who I knew nothing about the topic of ADHD and how it related to substance use in any way but he kind of summarized 30 years, he summarized the whole field basically <laughs> in, yeah. Yeah, in, in, in an hour or so, he summarized 30 plus years of research in a really clear and concise way. And I think a lot of people who didn't have a background knowledge should now come away with yeah, a really, really good understanding of it. So no, I really enjoyed it as well. Well, that's fantastic. Um, and we haven't mentioned the PhD symposium, which was yesterday, a whole day's worth of stuff, which I often think is incredibly uh, creative and um, actually really quite inspiring. And we've got a whole day tomorrow with just, um, just just too much just too much to look at um if you're gonna go to one thing come to my talk at 12 today uh, yeah, i'll be presenting so northumbrian room come along to that um we've got the ssa sponsored yeah. session in the afternoon with the fred yates prize and the impact prize winners uh, and katie east is one of our fellows i uh, like any session um i think i think we need to get back to our mocktails so um thanks so much for listening and uh, goodbye Thank you. Bye, Rob. <laughs>